When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now it's time for Sports Talk. This Sunday is the Super Bowl, the biggest sports event in America. Something like 100 million people watch the Super Bowl these days. The Super Bowl and all of football is sort of like Donald Trump. Both of them provide mass entertainment that promotes tribalism and toxic masculinity while keeping violence in vogue. That's what Robert Lipsight says. He's the legendary sports writer for the New York Times, who writes now for Tom Dispatch and The Nation. He was also a correspondent for CBS and NBC News. He won an Emmy for his work hosting WNET's nightly public affairs show. And his book, Sports World, an American Dreamland, has been reissued by Rutgers University Press with a new introduction. Last time we talked here, it was about Trump and golf. Bob Lipsight, welcome back. Glad to be here, John. Well, football is an entertainment where the audience, mostly white, watches young black men try to inflict traumatic brain injuries on each other. Is that a fair statement? Well, I think it's pretty harsh, John. (laughs) But yeah, you know, something really struck me the other day about all of this and it just really clarified things for me. There was a story out of Marshall, Texas. A local doctor had persuaded the school board cancel tackle football for middle graders. A year or two later, local families got together and created their own version of the sport with local teams. Now, Marshall, Texas is one-third Hispanic, one-third white, one-third black. The kids who came to play in the newly constituted teams were 90% black. Mm. And it was generally felt that Hispanics and whites pushed their kids off to baseball and soccer to make up for the loss of football. But for black families, they still saw football as the ticket out of Marshall, Texas, as the opportunity to get a college scholarship and maybe even a shot at the NFL. And I was thinking, what's the difference between that and the, quote, all-volunteer army? Yeah. It's very skewed towards minorities, African-Americans, and others. It's the same thing Richard Reeves, wonderful political correspondent, once called the all-volunteer army the NFL with guns. I mean, this kind of juxtaposition of, of football and the all-volunteer army as kind of mercenary forces for people who don't feel they have other options really kind of is a very powerful statement. And, and I do think that football, maybe sports in general, but certainly football has has been a, a kind of almost, uh, you could say, canary in the, you know, in the minds for Trumpism. I mean, I, we, we understand that Trump did not create Trumpism, you know, that uh, other presidents and the Cold War in history did. But certainly it's coalesced now. You uh, wrote for Tom Dispatch and The Nation 
quote, football groomed us for Trump. The number one item on your list is that football helped spread what you call America's primary disease, racism. Please explain that connection. Well, I, I think you know, the, the fact that the 70% of the players in the National Football League are African-American would you know, start to, to back that statement. But even beyond that, there are 32 teams. Only four head coaches were men of color, and there were two general managers who were men of color. And, of course, there are no African-American owners. There are two owners who are not white. One is Pakistani-American, one is Korean-American. Bill Roden, a, a colleague of mine at the Times, wonderful columnist who wrote a book about this called $40 Million Slaves, he wrote that the power relationship that's been established on the plantation has not changed, even if the circumstances around it have. Promoting racism goes along with crushing dissent, especially dissent from people of color, especially people like Colin Kaepernick. You know, kind of unfair, but you know, you got 70% African-Americans and the support for Colin Kaepernick, an African-American, who three years ago kneeled in protest to racism in America, particularly white cops shooting unarmed young black men. Colin Kaepernick has gotten very little support from his colleagues in the NFL. And I was thinking, you know, we're really quick now, justifiably, to trash the Republican senators who are so concerned about their of surviving, that uh, they would stand up to Trump. But we're really kind of afraid to apply any of this appropriation to, to, to black ball players. I was very struck in your piece that you also talked about another one of the ways that football prepared us for Trump is the way the game, in your words, normalizes brutality. Tell us about Richie Incognito. Oh, we love Richie Incognito. Uh, so, <laughs> Richie Incognito was an all-star offensive lineman at Nebraska, which is which is famous for uh, you know producing psychopathic uh, football players. Names like and at Nebraska, he picked a lot of fights that could have uh, ended his career in in jail. Uh, but he was such a good player that Nebraska sent to the manager clinic for anger management counseling, which didn't work. And uh, I, I, I think that these kind of escapades only increased his value to the NFL draft. He eventually uh, was drafted into the NFL. He is still in the NFL for 15 years now. And most years, he is voted dirtiest player in the league by his colleagues. And, and, and most famously, about seven or eight years ago, he bullied a fellow 300-pounder. Richie is 6'3", 300 pounds. So I, I never say this to his face. So, uh, but he bullied, he bullied a, uh, another 6'3", 300-pounder named Jonathan Martin, Stanford graduate yet, and an African-American under the guise of, you know, I'm going to toughen him up. 
but he he managed to drive them out of the football and uh, into you know what seems to be a very depressive state. He he is a bad boy, and I I think that and I I think that there is something romantic to to head coaches about this ability to be beast masters and to control these bad boys. I mean, it, it kind of helps their own macho image. If, uh, you know, you think that you're the only one who can, uh, who can keep this enormous, brutal energy tethered to your demands. You know, I, I think of uh, Trump and his recent, uh, you know, bromance with uh, special warfare warrior Eddie Gallagher. Yeah. Whose SEAL team teammates broke all kinds of, of their customary rules to accuse him of uh, war crimes. Uh, he was more or less quitted, and, and Trump kind of gathered him in, restored his rank. He has since retired, invited him to Mar a Lago, and maybe in the Mar a Lago gift shop, they are selling. Uh, Selling some of uh, Eddie Gallagher's salty frog gear is <laughs> oh, <laughs> is kind of you know Nike for war criminals. I, I, I think this is this is kind of that same sort of line. The idea of uh, of brutality. Yeah, it's it's a brutal game, and I think that the attitudes of of the some of the families in Marshall, Texas, are uh, that they're you know twelve year olds will never have a shot at becoming real men unless they learn to take a hit. You don't, you don't get the brain damage in the NFL. The brain damage begins back in peewee football with those constant little assaults to your skull. But they think it's worth the risk to become a man. And, of course, uh, if it's your only ticket, out of Marshall, Texas, or any other place where you may feel trapped, often by the color of your skin, maybe it's maybe it's a good deal. But in any case, it's kind of a, a terrible way of looking at America. You say that uh, another connection between football and Trump is control of the media, and you say covering football can be a walk in the park or a slog through hell. Please explain the hell. What what makes this hellish? I I think that it's not really too often discussed because it is embarrassing. But sports writers tend to be intimidated by head coaches who are basically the ones who run the media conferences after games and control access to the locker room to individual players. Uh, these guys are invariably bigger <laughs> than sports writers, and uh, they certainly have a lot of you know much bigger guys you know, hanging around. I, I think there's a kind of the fear and intimidation of dealing with these guys who will, you know, not necessarily punch you in the face, but you know will walk out of a press conference. And second of all, there's, I guess, some aspect of the Stockholm Syndrome in that you begin to think of yourself, if you're a beat writer, 
with somebody who constantly goes back to a football team. You're you're part of the team. You know, on, on the one hand, you know, you want access, you don't want to be embarrassed, and you want to get along. Uh, on the other hand, you also have to think that if this team does well and goes to the Super Bowl, hey, you're going to the Super Bowl too. And that, you know, puts you at the top of the broadcast or on page one, however that, you know, we're, you know whatever you're doing. And uh, it, it's not something you want to spoil for yourself in your own careerism. And you also say the big lie is a practice that football shares with Donald Trump. We know about Trump's lies, not just the thousands, but in particular the one about Ukraine that got him impeached. What do you consider the big lie in football? Well, the big lie in football is that uh, having your brain scrambled, one, you know, has nothing to do with football, and two, you can just shake it off. You know, in, in terms of big lies, although probably you know, not, not as far-reaching in its consequences as you know, climate denial or big tobacco telling us uh, that you know, nicotine is good for us, uh, is how many years the National Football League denied the fact that the brain damage caused by football was actually being caused by football to the extent of, um, you know, brushing aside any kind of criticism or revelatory reporting and setting up, and when they did, you know, set up their own medical teams to look into it, they were invariably headed by, uh, you know, uh, obstetricians and dermatologists, you know, hardly, hardly the neurologists that you needed to see what was going on. So I I think that that was a big lie in the sense that not only did it damage and kill another generation of professional football players, but certainly it began the murderous drumbeat on the heads of kids, peewee football players, Pop Warner football players. And, you know, it's not even we didn't know about it. I mean, my son... My son is uh, still angry at me that I wouldn't let him play high school football. Oh. He's, he's 51, and, you know, uh, he's 51 and a well-known novelist. And I keep saying, hey, yeah, you wouldn't have written any of those books if I let you play. But, you know, I, how, did, how did I know? But, and, you know, we all kind of knew. One, we knew that, you know, bones were in, uh, in bad repair. I had never interviewed a former football player who was able to step up from a soft chair easily. But it also stood to reason that all those helmet-to-helmet hits could not be good for your head. So, I mean, we were all in denial. The football players themselves were certainly in denial because they wanted to play this game, which had given them so much, you know, pleasure and status the prestige of being a high school or college football player is enormous. And then, of course, the prestige and riches of a poor kid making it to the pros. And certainly fans uh, were willing you know, to be in denial for the pleasure that the game gave them. Well, to 
conclude here by returning to the Super Bowl. Sports writers are told to stick to sports. This year's Super Bowl is on Fox, and I see that the pregame show includes a Sean Hannity interview with Trump. And this will, of course, happen during the impeachment trial in the Senate. I see that during the game, the Trump campaign will run a 60-second ad that costs $10 million. Also, Michael Bloomberg has purchased a 60-second ad. Probably that will be critical of Trump. And then there's also going to be a 30-second ad about police brutality against African-Americans. It's told through the eyes of a former NFL player whose cousin was shot and killed by a cop after his car broke down at the side of the road. That ad is being purchased by the NFL itself through something it calls the Inspire Change Initiative, which focuses on social justice issues. Of course, that ad makes you wonder why Colin Kaepernick was kicked out of the NFL for kneeling during the national anthem in order to bring awareness to that very issue. Uh, And one last thing, the San Francisco 49ers will be playing. That's Colin Kaepernick's former team. The last time they played in the Super Bowl, he was on the team. And Vice President Pence recently called them Nancy Pelosi's 49ers. My (laughs) My question for you is, if Kansas City beats San Francisco on Sunday, will that be good for Trump? Wow. I, I, I think we I think we can't start thinking that way. Because <laughs> okay. so then we'll then we'll feel too bad, right? <laughs> if the forty ers win. I, I, I don't think that we one can really saddle teams, you know, with those that kind of Faustian bargain of you know, if you win, it'll be politically good. And two, I think it's so shrewd of the NFL to get on the better side of things because they are losing audience. Football is eroding among younger viewers and players. And I think that any kind of nod to anything progressive might bring back some of those fans or bring in some new young fans. So maybe, just maybe, that tells us the tide is shifting a little bit and it's a good thing. And yes, we will root for the Chiefs. Robert Lipsight wrote about Trump and football for Tom Dispatch and The Nation. Bob, thank you. You are the best. Thank you, John. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.